everybody. I'm Kelly Ellers. I'm Jeffrey London. And this is Volume Up by The Tees. Hey, Salon Pro, you need a dryer that is built differently. One that puts the power to shine in your hands. Olivia Garden's Super HB Hair Dryer was engineered by experts, tested by hairdressers, and perfected for pros. It's lighter, more powerful, built to last with advanced memory functions and features ergonomic design elements for the hairdresser so that styling your client's hair couldn't be any easier. What are you waiting for? Head over to oliviagarden.com to pick up this cutting edge hair dryer by the leading creator of high quality salon professional tools. The Super HP is your power to shine. So, have you seen this little show, this little movie that's coming out? A little, you know, throwback, if you will. Any guesses? Um, I've got a hunch that I know what you're talking about. It is, of course, Barbie the movie. It's Barbie. Very on brand for your background right now. I know that this was not planned. You, uh, this background predates the Barbie marketing engine, but I mean, it does could be right up there. Call me on trend, if you will. What are your what are your thoughts on this whole situation? I mean, are you personally are you excited about the movie? Yes, I definitely want to see the movie. I think you know it's going to be a great throwback. I think it's going to be funny and silly, and it's so well done. I mean, I have a true appreciation and affinity for the marketing around it as well. It's a machine. I mean, they've killed it. Everybody, I mean, the the partnerships, the sort of unlike like enterprise. It's literally everywhere. All sorts of like it's. I mean, I cannot. Um, I told I told you. Maybe I said on this podcast. I can't remember. Pinkberry has like a Barbie themed flavor. Like it's really everywhere. And that extends to the press tour. So as part of the global rollout, there has been a number of international cities that received the Barbie cast. Um, we're talking Mexico City, Seoul, London, etc. And the teams, I mean, the, the, the hair teams for Margot Robbie alone, I think, deserve some sort of... We're giving them recognition. Give them awards. I mean, the ponytail. I'm so impressed by... And also in love with the Instagramming of that content, where it shows the inspo from the original Barbie, whether it's the 1960s, the 90s, whatever. So good. Wouldn't it be cool if our editors could talk to maybe the hair lead for the movie? Just throwing it out there. Well, well, well. Um, Look at you putting that into (laughs) the universe. I think that that might be in play. Um, We're not just manifesting. Uh, Stay tuned for an update on this very podcast and for the tease.com uh we're going to get into lots of updates from the barbie movie but yeah if you're excited about it let us know if you're sick of it maybe don't let us know yeah because we're not we're not sick of it you know i gotta tell you it's this is so like on the nose is that what they say because my niece was over last night and i got out all my old barbies Wow. I kid you not. One of them's missing a head. The hair is frazzle rocked all around. Like it is, these babies have been worn. They've been around the block, but they were exciting to her. And so, full circle moment. I love that. Do you remember a specific Barbie where you're like, I've got to have this one? No, I don't think I had many. Like, I wasn't a true Barbie girl in a Barbie world. But I do have some awesome homemade outfits that I think my grandma made. Like I love that. Just off, faux fur coats. Those are included in the OG bag that I handed to my niece. So wow. What about you? Did Barbies enter your world growing up? They 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 sure did. So I'm a child of the nineties, like was a small child in the nineties. And you might recall, listeners, that Baywatch was a big deal. 
And at some point, there was a Baywatch Barbie that had a dolphin that had like a little thing that like would make the dolphin noises. And I could not escape the commercials because TV regulation when we were get like, was there any? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, and I remember like seeing this way. Too- so yeah, I I convinced my parents I got the Baywatch Barbie with the dolphin that made the little <laughs> sound. Is it still in existence? Dang. I don't know what happened to her. R.I.P. But I'm sure you can find it on eBay. I'm not crazy. It, it exists. It's a real thing. I was expecting a hard no, but there you go. Nope. nope it, <laughs> yeah, she, she got her way in there. Um, <laughs> what an intriguing choice, too. Yep. But anyway, onward we go from the Barbies. On our last episode, I had the pleasure of talking with Carolyn Aronson. If you don't know her, she is a successful entrepreneur, philanthropist, and founder and CEO of It's a 10 Hair Care, and one of the only Latina female-owned professional hair care brands in the world. It's a 10 Hair Care was born out of her frustration with brands that produce dozens of products with single benefits and hard-to-follow claims. She envisioned a line that was for everyone and delivered full salon quality results in just one bottle. She began with the star product, Miracle Leave-In, which, yes, we all recall, And then the line quickly rose to fame through pro hairstylists who shared the cult favorite product with their clients. It's a great interview. Head back there and listen to it. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok at Read the Tees and send in questions to volumeup at thetees.com. This week, we're talking with Frederick Fakai. Provence-born and Paris-trained, Frederick opened his first groundbreaking namesake salon atop New York's Bergdorf Goodman Department Store in 1989 and today has the most recognized and luxurious hair salons in New York. During this time, he quickly became known for creating hairstyles on the catwalk, magazine covers, and red carpets for notable supermodels and celebrities. In 1995, Frederick created the prestige hair category with the launch of his product line, raising the industry standard from commodity to luxury by incorporating high-performance ingredients found in prestige skincare. In 2018, Frederick reclaimed his namesake brand and relaunched Fakai with a new mission. He's created a high-performance, clean collection of hair care that shatters the myth that clean products are less performative. This is a big one. Kelly, again, so incredibly jealous, but good on you. And congrats to the listeners for this one. Next up, a bit more of a sensitive topic that we think is important to share. We've talked about it before, mm-hmm. but in Massachusetts, as of a couple of days ago, there was a new bill that would require domestic violence awareness training for hair care workers. And I think, heck yes. Proposed legislation, as I mentioned, would require beauty workers, including salons and barbershops, in the state to receive training on how to identify possible signs of domestic violence. And alternatively, also in the news, there was a column that we came across that, you know, this goes both ways, right? Was a column saying, hey, my hairstylist has a lot of bruises and I'm worried for her safety. So, you know, just some public service announcement on, hey, yes, stylists are looking out for their clients, but also look out for your stylist in the industry as well. Yeah, I love this story. Um, I mean, obviously, like trigger warning, it's a bit of a, a shock to talk about and certainly to to see and to experience. Um, we've had guests on the podcast talk about the work that they've done in terms of advocating for this kind of work that's now popping up in Massachusetts. Shout out to Susan and her important work in Tennessee. Yeah, this one got me in all of the feels. Yeah. It's like that this client was looking out for her hairstylist in this way. Um, a good reminder that, you know, this can happen to anyone. And also good to know that there are all of these resources that are available, which of course we will link to in the show notes, you know, so you can just brush up on that right. in case, you know, you sort of come across this in your in your life. And and yeah, I mean, I love the idea of having this kind of training. Would love to see selfishly that it be, you know, taken up nationwide. 
Totally agree. And just as a like wrap up on the learning, the advice column or response was really to say, you know, writing a note on the tip Mm. or alongside where your tip would be saying, I've been worried about some of the injuries I've seen. If someone's hurting you, there's help. You can contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline at thehotline.org or text the crisis text line at 741741. So again, making sure on both sides of the equation that we're making sure we're watching out for everyone and making sure that those resources are discreet, uh, but available because they're out there. Absolutely. Uh, Well, let's talk a little bit about something on a lighter note, uh, and that is what is trending on thetease.com. Our editorial team has been hard at work this week on covering industry news, looking into trends, and diving into brands that you don't know, but you should, and here are some of our favorite headlines. First up, celebrity hairstylist Johnny Wright will be touching crowns and hearts on his multi-city Naturally You tour. Already one of our industry's best and brightest stars, celebrity hairstylist Johnny Wright is now looking to take his natural hair expertise on the road. That's right. The legendary stylist and motivational speaker will soon be popping up at a city near you while on his upcoming 11-city Naturally You tour. Wright made the official announcement during the Essence Festival in New Orleans on Saturday, July 1st, alongside his premier partner, Mayavana, at their hair lab in the Ernest Memorial Convention Center. Inspired by his best-selling book, Natural and Curly Hair for Dummies, the Naturally You tour aims to provide a safe, informative, and celebratory space for people of all backgrounds to come together, share their stories, connect with one another, and heal by dispelling conscious and unconscious biases about how they look, how they feel, and move about the world. With diversity and inclusion as a focus, this tour hopes to empower attendees to embrace their natural beauty and promote self-love and acceptance. Head to thetees.com to learn more about what you can expect from the tour. Kelly, it looks like 2023 is the year of in-person education. Right. What do you think about big names like Johnny going on tour? I mean, I love it. Who doesn't love to see Johnny right in person? I think he likens himself to the I am the hottest hairstylist of the United States. So I love that. Uh, What a personality. But I love that we're back in person. I think that our industry needs that. We love that energy and that vibration uh, in person, right? You just can't do it. Can't do it all over Zoom. And we have Zoom fatigue. It's true. It's true. I'm so excited to see more of this stuff popping up. Um. Talking about things that are popping up, we've mentioned this a few times, the machine that is the Barbie movie marketing team. Uh, We got a little bit of that. Uh, The article is called Colorist Jacob Schwartz shares exactly how to get Margot Robbie's Barbie blonde hair color from the Barbie premiere. I think we can all agree that Margot Robbie's Barbie press tour looks have been nothing short of fantastic. From Mexico City to Sydney to even Seoul, the actress has been churning out one perfectly pink ensemble after another, all inspired by everyone's favorite doll. Naturally, the star saved her best and barbiest look for last. For the Greta Gerwig-directed movie's L.A. premiere, Robbie paid homage to the iconic solo-in-the-spotlight Barbie from the 1960s with a stunning costume, Chaparelli gown, Lorraine Schwartz jewelry, and Manolo Blahnik heels. While the styling was fabulous on its own, what really took the look to the next level was her perfectly curled ponytail, complete with a retro side-swept bang, a la the doll. We all know what that look is. Robbie's doll-like ponytail was styled by celebrity hairstylist Bryce Scarlett, but her gorgeous Barbie blonde color was the work of celebrity colorist Jacob Schwartz. The tease was lucky enough to get Schwartz to share step-by-step details on how he achieved Robbie's Barbie-inspired blonde using Schwartzkopf's Blonde Me products. Head to thetease.com for the complete breakdown. Kelly. Yes. Will we ever be sick of Barbie blonde? Uh, no, no, absolutely not. I think it's... <laughs> I think it's stood the test of time and it's got some time to keep on standing if you will yeah 
But shout out to our editorial team because we could talk about a lot of things, Barbie, but we're, we're getting to the meat of this, right? With the actual stylists that are there. And we want to know the how-to, the get the looks. We're going a couple layers deeper. That's right. So shout out to them. All right. Last but certainly not least, another blonding related story. Cosmoprof's new iconic blonde event wants to help stylists improve their blonding and bonding techniques. If you're a stylist that's been hoping to take your blonding and bonding skills to the next level, Cosmoprof has totally got you covered. The Pro Beauty distributor will be hosting its first ever blonding and bonding focused virtual event, Iconic Blonde, on July 17th. With the increasing demand for diverse blonding options, this event fills a crucial gap in the market for licensed pros who are hoping to keep their services competitive. Iconic Blonde's curriculum has been meticulously designed to incorporate top experts from industry-leading brands such as Amica, Joico, Moroccan Oil, New Standard, Olaplex, Pravana, Rusk, and Wella. Each will join the event to share their latest products, unique insights into new blonding techniques, and the importance of bonding. Want to learn what you can expect the classes to touch on? The Tease.com has you covered. Head over there, check it out. The question for you then mm. about this. Yes. We're all about blonde. We just talked about Barbie. Can brunette be iconic or is it just blonde? Hi, you're talking to and I like to call an iconic brunette. I know. I'm just kidding. Um, but I, you know, you didn't notice that it actually went darker last week. I'm sorry. I noticed, but I did not call it out. You had been going a little bit lighter, but now you're back. Back. I, I mean, I find that this suits you. So you say that you can be an iconic brunette. I guess I will say that it is my is my signature color. It has been for many decades. Mm-hmm. Tried to go blonde, tried to go all the way there, went all the way back over the span of a few years. And so who are our iconic brunettes out there? That's the question. I, I'm sure that there's several. N- nothing comes offered. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll just put that out there. Yeah, I'm sure there are. L- listeners, please, like, drop your iconic blondes. Let us know. Get in touch with us. Um, oh, your iconic browns. Oh my, see, I can't even say it. It's, oh. It's so non-native to... I feel so unseen. Iconic brunettes. They're they're out there, for sure. Indeed. For sure they are. As always, so much going on at thetease.com. Thank you to our hardworking editors. We're proud to publish stories that salon pros and consumers care about. Ooh, next up, we're going to need a moment. We're going to need a moment, everyone. Because it's Frederick Fakai. It's an interview with the ultimate. Here we go. Provence-born and Paris-trained, Frederick Fakai opened his first groundbreaking namesake salon atop New York's Bergdorf Goodman department store in 1989 and today has the most recognized and luxurious hair salons in New York. During this time, he quickly became known for creating hairstyles on the catwalk, magazine covers, and red carpets for notable supermodels and celebrities. In 1995, Frederick created the prestige hair care category with the launch of his product line, raising the industry standard from commodity to luxury by incorporating high-performance ingredients in prestige skincare, further enhanced by partnerships with the world's leading fragrance formulators. Fakai was acquired in 2006 by Procter & Gamble. Now with a powerhouse standalone salon in Soho and an iconic salon within the Mark Hotel on the Upper East Side, Frederick Fakai has reclaimed his namesake brand and relaunched Fakai with a new mission. He's created a high-performance, clean collection of hair care that shatters the myths that clean products are less performative. 
With the brand's commitment to eliminate plastic waste by using high percentages of PCR in the recyclable bottles and tubes, and the latest product innovations with three earth-friendly, non-ozo-depleting aerosols powered with solstice propellant technology, he has sought out to do just that. So today on the podcast, I am welcoming the one and only Frederick Fakai. Thank you so much for joining us. It is a true honor, a true pleasure. I'm already excited about the next 45 minutes of my life, <laughs> spending it with you. <laughs> That's an honor for me too. I'm, I'm very flattered and uh, looking forward to this uh, next hour. Wonderful. So we're going to take it all the way back. We want to talk about your beginnings. We want to talk about when was the moment that you knew you wanted to have a career in professional beauty? Well, this is a very long question. So, you know, first, we should know that I grew up in the south of France, in Aix-en-Provence. Okay. And uh, I wanted to go to a fine art school called Les Beaux-Arts in Paris, Ooh. which is a wonderful school. And I was very excited that I was actually accepted in that school because it's a school where you have to go through um, a contest to get in. And I did. But my dad, being very conservative and coming from a very, you know, middle class, modest background, told me that uh, uh, he was not going to approve that idea. So I stayed in X and went to law school to please him because he wanted me to be a, a businessman in his mind, whatever that means. And uh, um, and uh, uh, so I did. And uh, uh, because I came from a modest family, I needed to leave to make some earning on the side. And I was lucky to be doing some modeling. Huh. And on the shoot, luck striked. I met a brilliant, brilliant stylist on, on shoot who took me under her wing. Wow. And she told me, you know, you seem to not be so happy with the law school. And you still want to go to Les Beaux-Arts? She says, you know, I live in Paris. I have a flat in my building that uh, I own and is available. Why don't you take it for the next nine months? And from there, you can do some modeling and maybe some wet racing. And then, you know, perhaps you can go back to the final school. And of course, I accepted that, which is great. And luck strikes again later on, about a month later, she came to me and she says, Frederick, she had a wonderful team of stylists and makeup artists. You know, she was pretty much a big deal. And, um, and I'm discovering all of this. I have no idea what it is. And she come back and she says to me, Frederick, uh, I'm sorry to ask you this, but you know, two of my stylists, um, missing they're not well they're ill and so of course i helped her i went on a shoot and you know carrying our cases preparing our tool whatever being the the assistant she wanted me to be and i did that and a, a, a couple of weeks later she says would you consider working with us i mean it seems like people love working with you you seem to like it would you be interested wow and i we didn't think about it at all. So I said, give me some time to think about it. I did. And so then I accepted. And I worked as her assistant and also went to school uh, at night. Uh, but because I was at a higher level than everybody uh, going to cosmetology school, 
I got my license, I mean, my CRP in France, which is a diploma, very fast in six months. And uh, I worked with her. And then, you know, it was actually a a few months later, almost a year, I was on the studio of uh, Elle magazine in France and working with her. And a gentleman approached me, asked me if I was considering to work for his agency. And I had no idea who he was. So I went to, you know, Christiane, this girl, and, and I said, you know, I got this hairdresser over there who asked me to come to work for his agency. And of course, I wanted to be loyal to her. And she says, do you know who that is? I said, no. She said, this is Bruno Pittini. Oh, and Bruno Pittini was the most talented creative director in France, and he was working for Jacques de Sange at l'époque, and he was a partner with him. And he was a brilliant, brilliant stylist. Wow. And so I accepted, and that's how I came to New York when they asked me uh, to come to open their flagship in New York City. Wow. That's how it started. <laughs> it's a fluke. I never thought I was going to be a stylist at all. and I, I never knew what a stylist was. So... This this just came out like this. That's amazing. That that's a a few lucky strikes for sure, right? <laughs> yes, but you know, I always say this for, and this is good for the audience. You know, it's not just a few people that are lucky. We all are. Yeah. You know, it really uh, depends on how we seize that luck when it comes. You know. Great point. Luck strikes, and you have to catch it. Or if you don't then, you know, you just miss the opportunity. Yeah, that's wonderful. And what did your family say then once you said no no more to law school and you're heading into this new career, a new path in America? Yeah, well, good question. This was a really a breakup between uh, my family and I, especially my father. Okay. So we didn't talk for many years. I mean, I'm talking about many years, like five years or so. Wow. And, uh, you know, because he was not approving this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was a failure being a hairdresser. You know, he only knew his hairdresser, which was a barber. Right. So it was not a sexy or glamorous job. Sure. But that's who he was. And, uh, you know, and then, of course, later on, you know, 10 years later, when he saw that I was on the news and TV on magazines. Right. So he didn't change his mind, but he, he accepted a little bit better. Right. That's great. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's a it it had to have been an interesting transition for sure. Um, so from there, you're in the United States, you're doing all these incredible things. Talk to me about that progress there too, or kind of what your next step was um after you came over. So funny enough. I came to New York thinking that I was going to go to work right away. And we were a few hairdressers coming from Paris to open that uh, flagship salon on Madison Avenue. Mm. And as we arrived, we found out that the salon was not going to open for another eight, nine months. Mm. Okay. So this was really scary. And Pretty disappointing, as you can imagine. Yeah. So I didn't have much money. Uh, people that came with me either. And many of them actually returned to 
France because we could have sustained living in New York. Yeah. And really disappointed. It was really a flop. And I got the idea, I think this actually was one of genius idea I had, is to call a friend of mine, uh, Didier Malija. I have to say his name because he's an amazing, talented stylist as well. And uh, when I called him, I said, you know, here's the situation. What do I do? He says, do not go back to Paris. Come and walk with me. Okay. I went, helped him, assisted with him. And then he introduced me to his agent. His agent gave me some job. And I started to walk with the most amazing photographer on the planet at the time, you know, um, Arthur Argo, Patrick de Marchelier, you know, oh. Richard Avdon, Arvin Payne. I mean, it was incredible, incredible. Jeez. And uh, that gave me a great platform and a great pedestal to start to do, you know, what I loved, basically, hair in the best form, in the best, uh, you know, environment. So I did that, and I, of course, not of course, but, you know, Vogue, Glamour, all the magazines were attracted by my work and who I was, and uh, I was really uh, busy all the time, yeah. and it was an amazing time. I mean, and this is the 80s, so yeah. imagine it was all the supermodels, yeah. you know, that you can imagine, uh, Chrissy Turlington, Cindy Crawford, uh, Linda Evangelista, Naomi Campbell, you know, you name it, all of them. They were, it was spectacular. It was an amazing era. And I want to just say one thing important is that because I was a stylist in studio as well as a salon, I was lucky because um, what happened is in the early 90s, the cover magazine back then was all the supermodels. Okay. And then 1991, 1992, I'm not sure, you know, there was a flip overnight. Mm. And all the covers became celebrities. Oh, okay. And so because I was working with both, that gave me a great, you know, a great uh, base for editorial. Interesting. What is the one shoot that stands out in your mind from what a time to be alive, right? The 80s and 90s. What's the one? Do you have just one? No, I, actually, I have, <laughs> I have many. I'm lucky. I mean, you know, when I, when I told you the name of the people I work with, it was incredible. Where whether I was working for with Vogue or, or yeah, or the, I mean, I had so many great uh, shoot um, that I loved. One that stand out not because of the shoot, but because of the the incident that happened is years ago. I was working with Helmut Newton. You know, the famous. Mm-hmm. And Henry Newton only shoots at night. Mm. He doesn't like the daylight, so he shoots at night with a tungsten light. Oh, that's his uh, this thing, yeah. Exactly. And one night, you know, uh, after a long day, you know, we started at six p.m. and we finished at uh, eleven p.m. And I went. Uh, we were staying at the Chateau Marmont in Los Angeles. I remember there was no cell phone. Right. There was no cell phone back then. And as I arrived in my room, I'm so tired, I'm going to sleep. And the phone rang. And the phone rang. And I got a call from a gentleman who was telling me he's from the White House. Hmm. And I thought at this time, it was a joke. Yeah. You know, 
11.30 at night. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound right. I thought it was a friend of mine pulling my leg. And when I say stop, you know, I said to my friend, stop, Eric, pulling my leg. <laughs> and the gentleman at the end of the phone says, I beg your pardon. And I realized then that he was serious. So the White House basically called me to uh, see if I was available to uh, a style and to do a makeover to the first lady at the time, uh, Hillary Clinton. Oh, so wow. <laughs> this was a big moment. Yeah. And of course, the week after that, and this was, a, again, a good luck to strike. Good thing you answered the phone, right? Exactly. <laughs> because I, I was so tired and I saw there was a pile of messages. So they had tried all day, okay. but I wasn't there to answer. So funny enough, Yes, I'm glad I picked up that phone call. That's amazing. Okay, throughout that journey, did you have any mentors that you want to talk about that sort of helped you make some of these pivotal decisions or sort of some stepping stones in your career? This is actually a very good question. It is a very important question, to be honest. And I'm trying to actually tell this to my son, who is 29 years old now, because I was lucky to have many mentors. Okay. But... One thing I want to say is that, of course, the two that I mentioned earlier, you know, the the two stylists in the business, but also uh, later on, I met Vidal Sassoon, which was incredible. I met some really good figure in in the industry. But the thing to know is that it's always very important to not just have mentors that do what you do. It's mentors that do things outside. And I was lucky to meet some very smart entrepreneurs, CEO, writers, you know, with the job we have, we meet some of the most amazing people. So I was very lucky to meet, you know, a few and one in particular was no longer with us, unfortunately, but a wonderful gentleman who, um, I'm going to say his name because it was legendary for me, is Gil Friesen. And, uh, you know, uh, Gil Friesen was the CEO of a record company called AM Record yeah. that was sold after to uh, Philips and Philips sold it to a big conglomerate. So he was a very smart man. He is the one who discovered the group Police with uh, Sting. Oh, yeah. Very smart. And also a movie producer, a philanthropist, and also an amazing art collector, yeah. which made him also become the chairman of the MOCA in LA. Wow. So important to get these outside resources, because if you're just in your lane, in your industry, you're not seeing how other businesses operate, other opportunities. Absolutely. And also just taking, you know, lesson from anyone. It's impressive. You know, I remember when I saw, for instance, some restaurateurs, you know, great a restaurant well-run. Sure. And I saw some entrepreneur rerunning this. I mean, I took lesson out of this because it's always great to see how people do to uh, distinguish themselves and to make, you know, a business very viable and uh, desirable. Wonderful. So thank you for that. Now we're going to shift focus a little bit to Fakai, right? So when I talk about uh, all of the innovation uh, that is happening, but first, tell me a little bit about kind of the journey from the product line perspective. What made you decide to reclaim and relaunch with a new mission? Yes. 
Well, you know, let me just backtrack a little bit for a minute. Sure. When I created my first line, you know, yeah. it's so important because the, it's the segue from the mentors okay. is that, you know, you cannot just do a business because you have, you know, an idea. You have to have something that is a out of the box, disruptive and desirable. Okay. You know, this is very important. Tomorrow, if I wanted to do, you know, sell coffee or chocolate, I would have to think also in a way that, you know, nobody else does. Right. Otherwise, you make your life uh, complicated. So back then, you know, I created a salon experience that didn't exist anywhere else. So good. You know, this is in 1989. I'm opening a, a salon at Berdorf Goodman on Fifth Avenue and 57th Street. I was lucky enough to actually get that space. Uh, Berdorf recruited me to do that. Oh. And so... I didn't want, I didn't like hair salon per se. So I needed to do something different. And again, no cell phone at the time. So I put a line line at every station. Yeah. I did a salon that was ultra modern, you know, uh, because salon were too, um, how would I say, uh, like a beauty parlor, you know. Yeah, like old school. Yeah, just, yeah. So I imported a white marble from Europe and uh, made all white, uh, the tablet, the station were all white also with the lighting that we found in studios and uh, with the phone. And also I did a beauty bar mm. uh, and you no, know, funny enough, you know, I was working a lot with the makeup artist by the name of Bobby Brown and Bobby Brown became, you know, uh, basically run my beauty bar, right. which is, was amazing. And, uh, and every Technician, stylist, colorist had a uniform. Ah. So one year we had Calvin Klein doing it. Uh, another year was Ralph Lauren. <laughs> another year was Azdin Alaya, uh, Mark Jacobs. So we're rotating all the time. So that was a very, very different than any other salon. Yeah. Our salon obviously uh, showed that we had style, that we were sophisticated, that we were modern. Yeah. And also that we were linked to fashion because of all these uh, designers. Yeah. So I did that. That was disruptive. And then uh, also very important before I'd say why I brought it back, you know, back then, you know, my client were ladies like you who loved fashion, loved beauty, mm. loved luxury, uh, luxury good, and couldn't find any great hair care. Huh. You know, but when I ask what they used for their skin, Skincare was so sophisticated, you know, brand like La Prairie, La Mer, right. Lancôme, and so on. Very beautiful and, you know, great packaging and with great innovation, science, with collagen, with vitamin C, with this. And then I went to see what was on the market for hair, and it was barely limited. Mm -hmm. It was a shampoo for dry hair, for oily hair, for dandruff, and that's it. So... I said, something is wrong here. Yeah. And that's how I created the first line based on skincare technology. And by doing that, we were called the skinification to the hair. Right. You know, we created that. Yeah. And the brand started to be marketed and retailed in a different area. Uh, for instance, I was no longer in drugstore or in hair salon. I was only at, you know, department stores and then Sephora, which nobody had hair care. Yeah. So I created a category that didn't exist. Yeah. And this was 
the success of the brand. And then the brand got sold because my partner was a private equity firm at the time. They needed to exit. And by exceeding, PNG bought 100% of the brand Procter & Gamble mm-hmm. in 2008. And I got lucky, if I could say, to buy it back wow. with another fund also in 2019. Okay. And uh, since then, you know, I said to myself, again, same idea. Nobody needs another healthcare brand. Nobody needs me in a market, you know, but something has to happen to be different. And this is how I reformulated all the line, repackage it, reformulated with clean formula, you know, an incredible performance using again, technology from skincare and so on. And also using the state of the art of packaging in recycled plastic with recyclable. So again, make it attractive, but also friendly to the environment. This was the message, the mission I wanted to do. And today we are proud to say that we have a collection of product treatment and styling that is what we call clean Mm -hmm. and sustainable. So it was a tough journey, I have to say. Yeah. (laughs) But it's a great journey today and uh, looking forward to actually uh, develop even more product and expand the brand, not only in the US, but also internationally. Wonderful. Was that a hard moment where, you know, selling to a big corporation and that was your baby, right? Uh, So I can imagine you were watching closely what was happening with the brand and then the decision to buy it back must have been difficult too. Yeah. You know, the problem is the following is that I was too young. Okay. My brand was sold too young. I was just 48, 49 years old. Yeah. And I was not planning on selling. I thought I was going to continue and work, you know, as a partner. Yeah. But Porter & Gamble being a public company, right. uh, wanted to do their own things. And uh, this was hard. What was really hard is the fact that when you are a creator, a founder, an yeah. uh, artist at heart, and when you have a vision and you do things to change the rules, and now you're sitting on a company that is, you know, before it was almost like driving a, a Ferrari or a Lamborghini, <laughs> and, and then you are sitting on a big bus, you know, it's like a bus. <laughs> All of a sudden, you, you are a passenger on a slow bus yeah. with no surprise. It was no surprise. It was just business yeah. just to put the product on the shelves and try to sell the most out of it. Yeah. So it was not as fun. So I bought it back because I want to have fun. I want to have fun by mm-hmm. coming up again with a great idea, a new novelty, innovation, and also to create a buzz to disrupt again, if I to make sure that, you know, we get the customer very excited yeah. and uh, interested. So, and then thinking about like re-entering or, you know, bringing the brand back, Fakai, and then re-entering or reintroducing it into the hair care category that you founded, the prestige market. I mean, that's got to be an interesting challenge in itself too. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, because when I bought the brand, the brand was sitting, you know, in what we call uh, FDM, food, drug, and mask. Okay. So, you know, in Target, in Walgreens, CVS, you know, and I have nothing against that because I'm a shopper there myself. But those outlets, those distributions are meant for replenishment, yeah. not for surprise. 
and for brands that have much more brand awareness than Fekai had. That's a good point. So when I brought it back, to be honest with you, I tried to see if I could do something there and succeed. I realized it was not my passion because, you know, I'm a storyteller. In Target and Walgreens CVS, you're not. You're just putting your product to be replenished. Yeah. So here, you know, I wanted to take it back and put it where it belongs, in Alta, in Bloomingdale's, Nordstrom, uh, Sephora, you know, pharmacies, that high-end pharmacies, and some salon as well, where basically the customer can be learning, discovering, and get excited about the brand and the history of the the brand. That's wonderful. So alongside the clean products, Fakai is also focused heavily on sustainability. And I know you touched on that briefly, but can you walk us through a couple steps that the brand is taking towards sustainability? We're talking about the PCR, we're talking about aerosols, all of those different things. Educate our listeners on your brand stance. Uh, And I'm glad you're asking this question because sustainability is used too lightly. Sure. we make a big deal of, uh, you know, sourcing the right packaging company, yeah. you know, and it's very interesting when I found the first bottle maker with recycled plastic, it was a gentleman who, you know, German, okay. but who had a manufacturing in Canada and then upstate New York in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. The gentleman was in his 70s, so he was not doing this as a trend like we do today. And when I went to see his uh, manufacturing plant in Buffalo, near the Niagara Falls, I could see that, first of all, his uh, facilities were powered by hydroelectric plant, which is, you know, very sustainable. Mm-hmm. And he was basically mining, he called it mining plastic, uh, the best plastic, the food grade plastic, yeah. and then shredded it in pellet and then remold our bottle. And uh, this was great. And then also one thing important is I always looked, I mean, and this is what I love about this business, is I always look at ideas, new ideas. So for instance, before I bought the company actually uh, back, there was a a lady that I used to work years ago, uh, Maria, who uh, called me and she says, Frederick, I'm working with a laboratory called Honeywell. Mm. And Honeywell is working on the new technology to do green aerosol okay. with no gas and actually with a saltist, which is not going to deplete the ozone. And by the way, for us, studies or even consumer, when you spray this in a room, you're not going to sneeze or have your eyes crying. It's very inoffensive and it's really healthy. So when she did this, she asked me if I could support them and sponsor them. And of course, I did yes. I said yes. And that's how I came up to be the first one to use those aerosol for the dry shampoo, for the hairspray, which are very safe for the environment, but also very good for, for us as well. So, so this is one of the things. And also uh, another example to show you how I think is that I was introduced to a couple, a wonderful couple from California who are the largest grower of nuts. Okay. Well, I didn't know that. I thought it was in Africa or somewhere. Yeah. You know, it's in California. 
And this wonderful couple, you know, came up to me and said, you know, you love sustainability and all this. And we have all these nuts and we're trying to figure out what to do, how to use those shell to into packaging. And I thought it was a brilliant idea. And I introduced them to some MIT engineers that I knew very well to work on the concept and try to figure out how, you know, those nuts can be used for packaging. Because if you think about it, you know, a coconut has a own packaging, it's biodegradable. Fair, yeah. You know, if you think (laughs) about it, you know, um, a banana has her own packaging, you know, an orange, a pineapple, everything is all the packaging that is biodegradable. So there is an idea there. Of course, biodegradable is great, but it's also bad because you don't want to buy the edible product on the shelf too soon. Yeah. So that's how they're going to work on to try to figure out a packaging that could stay five years biodegradable. That's unreal. That's a great story. <laughs> and this is what I love about my business. Yeah. It's not just doing a great hacker to a great color, a great product. It's about, you know, trying to figure out how you can create new things that mm-hmm. makes uh, the buzz and, and also gives a, a great uh, hope for uh, our planet. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, any uh, any innovations you want to spill that you're working on outside of that? You know, I cannot be that precise because obviously it's all top secret right now. For sure. <laughs> but, you know, the idea today is for me is uh, how we can manage what I'm working on is about Finding product that can manage, control, change hair texture in the best way in, in different environments. Yeah. When it's humid outside or when your hair has been damaged by chemical. So how do we fix that? I'm looking at uh, figure out how can I use science yeah. with uh, botanical ingredients, you know, because both of them together, it's extremely powerful. How do I do that to create products that are improving and repairing and enhancing the hair we have? Wonderful. You know, it doesn't have to be damaged, even if we're not happy with our own hair. You know, how do we do that? How do we get, you know, everybody wants more volume. Everybody wants more shine. Everybody wants more, you know, movement and so on. And the hair doesn't do it by itself, you know. Uh, so how do we do that? And I think that we're getting there with incredible technology today. And I'm excited about that. Wonderful. Well, we're glad you're back at the helm of the Ferrari or the Lamborghini, right? <laughs> sounds like <laughs> sounds like you got a couple of things in the works, which is incredible. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's not just because it, they are fast cars, <laughs> because also they are... Quality. They are agile, they're fun, they're sexy, yeah. and so on, you know? All of the things we want as consumers. In fact, I always compared Fekai, my brand, with the humidity, obviously, but with the spirit of Tesla as an electric car. Yeah. Because years ago, if you recall, there was electric car, but they were not appealing. They were just electric car. Yeah. And Elon Musk came with Tesla and made the electric car sexy and desirable. Yeah. And that's what I think I wanted to do with uh, humidity with Fekai. Well, I also drive a Tesla, so I am squarely in your category of consumer. (laughs) 
Love it. Okay. So are you ready to talk about trends in the industry? Anything else you want to comment on about Fakai before we go there? So I think the, the important thing is that, you know, we are a brand that, you know, let's, I don't want to forget my roots. You know, I, I created this brand because of who I am as a stylist yeah. and seeing the challenges that the ladies had. And, uh, you know, my brand is basically a result of comment and request from my customer. Mm. So because, you know, they tell me, you know, look, look at my hair. For instance, I give you a good story. Um, you know, my first ever product was a shampoo for color treated hair. Okay. And why? Because, you know, my customer was coming and says to me, you know, Frederick, I just colored my hair, but two, three weeks ago, look at it. It's fading out. Ah. And that's how I went to the chemist and asked to develop a product that will protect and keep longevity on the brightness of the color. Yeah. And that's how Technician Color was born. So I think this is important to say, you know, this is why, this is the way I think Africai was born and this Africai is living, is to listen to our customer uh, at all time, not just at the chair for the haircut and the color, but for everything. Wonderful. I love it. All right. On to trends we go. So I'm, I'm curious what your take is on, you know, we've got the TikTok, we've got the Instagram, we've got the threads, all of the things happening, right? How do you personally stay up to date with trends? I mean, one would beg to say that you're setting them so you don't need to keep up. <laughs> I think it's incredible. I'm glad you said this because it's, it's so important. First of all, I love trends, but one thing very important it's not to be, uh, how would I say, dependent on trends. Mm -hmm. You need to be independent from trends. As you said, it's better to create them than just follow them. And one thing that I like to do is, uh, uh, to me, is, uh, first of all, I want to define what a trend is. Yeah, A trend is when you create a style that is unique, but that is completely designed for the right bone structure, face structure, yeah. right silhouette, basically taking in consideration everything, the texture of the hair, as well as the look and the sophistication and the style of your client. Yeah. So that you are only trying to enhance and give some ideas to reveal their beauty. And because a lot of people, and this is how I made my success, by the way, uh, uh, I didn't make people beautiful. I just revealed their beauty. That's lovely. That is much more successful because, you know, all of a sudden they realize they're beautiful. Mm. I didn't do anything out of ordinary, only just taking in consideration who they are, what they can do and how they can reproduce this at home. So it's so important to me to say, you know, it's first of all, listen to your customer, but try to figure out how to make their beauty shine up. That's lovely. I love that. One last question before we kind of wrap this up. You know, being a true icon in the industry, you've seen the industry go through a lot, even in the past four years. I mean, we're quote unquote post pandemic, right? That was hard for us. Why is education and continuing education and staying up to date on education? Why is that so important for our pros today? You know, education is very key because, you know, you need to learn your trade very well. There's so many important piece 
to be good at what you do is knowing how to take care of the hair yeah. at obviously the treatment level, how to style the hair, so at the styling level, but also knowing everything, knowing about color, highlight, knowing about fashion, makeup, so that you really can have an understanding of what you do. You know, the most difficult things in life, whether you're a hairstylist or hair colorist, or even an interior designer or an architect, it's not just about working, it's to know what you're going to do. So somebody who knows what they're doing will do it much faster and with much more conviction and less confusion. And this is what makes everybody successful because you lose no time. You don't waste any time. Right. So, you know, during the pandemic, we all switched over to online education. Now we seem to be back in person training education. Where do you feel that education is going in our industry? What is needed? What gap is there in the market right now? So I think it's so important to, and this is what I would love to do uh, in, in the future here, is to really create some tutorial that helps uh, really understand what we do for both, for the professional, for the stylist and the colorist, but also for the consumer, is to really understand that it's about being, you know, being successful is being generous. I like that. I want to make sure that I offering every tips, every advice I can to make sure that everybody can excel at what they do. I love that. I'm just going to ask you one more question. Being successful means being generous. How has that played out in your life? You know, it's huge because when you are generous, you become a magnet. Mm -hmm. People only gravitate around people who are generous. Do you want to go to somebody who doesn't give you anything? No. Do you want to go to somebody who doesn't talk? No. Mm -hmm. This is important. You are only attracted to people who are bringing something interesting to you. Yeah. You know, and that's important. In fact, my salons, all my salons, I did feed, if I could say this, all my technician, everybody with my customer. I was giving my customer, I was introducing my customer to them because I couldn't do it. You know, I have two hands. So there's so many I can do. So it was important to do that. But it's also to be generous by being genuine and really making sure that your heart is on the right place to help everyone. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing. So now we're going to get to the end of our conversation, something we call the tease quick takes. And I'm going to ask for your, your quick take right off the cuff. So the first one is, what was your first ever beauty product that you owned? It can be a beauty product or hair care product. Um, you know, that's actually interesting. <laughs> you know, the first beauty product for me was a Nivea cream. All right. Uh, that I use before going to the sun or the skiing. All right. Wonderful. And Nivea is still going strong. Yeah, it might. <laughs> All right. Are you superstitious? And if so, about what? Yes, I, I am superstitious. Um, you know, when when I have a bad thought, mm-hmm. I quick, quick prayer. All right. So you're redirecting it. Yes. All right. No bad thoughts. Who would play you in a biopic of your life, a movie of your life? Who is the lead? Who is Frederick Fakai? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, you know, uh, 
I have to say, I love, I love when I see amazing acting. Mm-hmm. You know, it was so beautiful to see uh, uh, Lady Gaga play in the Gucci movie. So good. Things like that. And obviously, I would love to have a good-looking actor to do me, but of course. But <laughs> I think more of an interest. And I have to say, I was very impressed by Gerald Leto. Oh, yeah. To play on, on a few movies, you know, obviously in Gucci, but also in the, the We Walk movie. I forgot the series, what it was. It was, it was amazing. I would say Gerald Leto. Oh, that's a good one. I feel like you've been thinking about that. No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. What do you consider the ultimate comfort food? You know, I find that the comfort food for me is um, it's a, I'm, I'm a plant-based. Okay. Uh, I love eating plant-based. That doesn't mean that I don't eat meat or fish, but I'm more interested in plant-based. And, you know, I love when I get a great salad uh, that uh, is uh, made with a, uh, you know, vegetable of the season. Um, and this is important when I say that because I don't want just to be eating vegetable. It has to be from the season. Oh, okay. Wonderful. What's your favorite vegetable in season right now? So I love a mix of uh, chickpeas with uh, tomatoes and cucumbers. And, you know, I'm from the Mediterranean Sea. So, so yeah, tomato, cucumbers, (laughs) onions, parsley, basil. Sounds great. (laughs) All right. Last one. Say you are on a deserted island and you can only bring three beauty products with you. What are you bringing? Um, I would bring um, the Nivea that I mentioned, yeah. <laughs> right. but uh, I would bring also um, a shaving soap. Oh, that is very moisturizing. Okay, okay, uh, because for shaving, okay. and uh, I would bring uh, also my brilliant gloss shampoo. Oh, because okay. it, it would make my hair hydrated and uh, and shiny. All right. I love it. That's one of my favorite questions to ask because you never know where the guest is going to go, but those are good. I like that you're sticking with the Nivea back to your roots. Yes. Yes. (laughs) All right. Any last bit of advice for any professionals that are out there aspiring to be somewhat like Frederick Fakai to take any path that you've taken? What do you got from an advice perspective? Yes. I think it's so important to stay curious to be curious, to learn from every trade, craft, but also to be, you know, a great listener. This is very important. I think one of the best success I had is when I listen. Ah. You know, when I listen, not only to my customer, but listen to Mm. all entrepreneurs or other founders or other, you know, listening and listening to people that have done very successful things. Okay. Wonderful. Well, again, as I mentioned before, we're glad to have you back in the driver's seat. We are excited to see all of the incredible things that Fakai has in store. Thank you so much for your time today. It was wonderful to get to know you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, I'm going to follow you on Instagram now. Do it. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. So like I said, you were going to need a moment before. I I need a moment after. Got to decompress. Right. 
Um, what a joyful hour of my life getting to know the Frederick Fakai. And that's really all there is to say about that. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to hit subscribe, rate and review and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and TikTok at Read the Tease and send in questions to volume up at thetease.com. Volume Up is a Tease Media production. This episode was produced by Monica Hickey and Madeline Hickey. Brian Daly is our editor and audio engineer. Thank you to Josh Landowski and Nathan Folks for the custom Volume Up theme song. And thank you to our creative team for putting together the graphics for this episode.